This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantined holiday ziggurat deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 599 of the oh, Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum. I am your head number one. I refuse to plan anything for issue I, 600. If you want it, I can't handle this pressure. I can't handle this pressure. <laughs> I'm not doing it. If you want to have a water balloon fight or something, fine. But it's got to be socially distanced. <laughs> And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. Today on the show, we have a veritable smorgasbord of classic holiday comics to review thanks to our time-traveling cosmic long box. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. So put on your bibs, kitties, and get ready for another cosmic long box edition of the THN, where we're discussing comics from across the time stream, Joe Patrick. Open the Cosmic Log Box! This week's Cosmic Long Box theme was Holiday Comics. Since Turkey Day is here and no one can hang with their extended family, we thought it would be fun to read and review eight holiday-themed comics from back in the day. Matt. Wipe that cranberry sauce off your filthy paws before you turn any pages and get us started, will you? Absolutely. And it only seems fitting to start with a Thanksgiving holiday comic book. There aren't a lot of those out there. It was hard to find. Yeah. I looked and I think there's literally like four and three of them were like, Archie's Thanksgiving, blah, blah, blah. I don't care and I don't want to read it. So instead I went with a bunch of Christmas comics and one Thanksgiving comic. We'll get there. But right now I'm starting with Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, number 79 from DC. This was 1996. Your creative team was written by Mark Millar, art by Steve Yowell with inks by Dick Giordano. Bruce Wayne ditches a holiday party to investigate a series of mansion robberies, one of which just happens to be Wayne Manor. The story sees a more desperate Batman than we're used to chasing down thugs and a gang of Joker-worshipping teens called the Joy Boys, which just reading it creeped me out. <laughs> like, yeah. Like a website you don't want to go to. Yeah, know? like don't go to joyboys.com. <laughs> don't do it. You're on a list. Batman is looking for info on the robberies, but more importantly, he's looking for an item stolen from Bruce Wayne with a lot of emotional baggage. Now, this is early Millar, but this is before his run with Grant Morrison on The Flash, which began in 1997. And Mark Miller doesn't seem to have the best grasp on bats when it comes to dialogue. This Batman feels very modern and dark, but he's much more talkative. There's like a scene where he rescues a blind girl that's almost raped by the Joy Boys, and she's got flowers that she's carrying. And he says, now let's pick up these flowers and see if they're okay. There you go. And he puts one in her hair and says, 
pretty as a picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, there's not a world. Pretty as a picture. Right. Like, Batman speaks with this death metal gravel. And even Kevin Conroy's animated Batman voice was still kind of scary. And that would not sound Yes, yes. Right. But this was, way this was way before the Christian Bale Batman voice. I suppose. But I, I like, don't. Like, you think of the. Think of the Val Kilmer Batman voice. He just talked like Val Kilmer. No, he was still very Batman. It was definitely lower talking like Batman. You called me here for this. The bat signal is not a beeper. Who was the blind girl? There's like a scene. We were talking about this a little bit. There's a scene where she's getting into a cab and she's like, oh, look, the Batman gave me flowers. And the cabbie's like, the Batman? That guy's real crazy. You know, like, what did he want? She's like, oh, he wanted information on these mansion robberies. Who is this character? Yeah, she like it wasn't very nowhere. it wasn't very clear why she would have information about these robberies. Not at all. It turns out Bats was after the last gift his parents gave him on the Christmas before they died, which is nice. And it should be a sweet moment, but let's just unpack this for a second. I get the Bat Cave is in the basement. But do you really want me to believe that a group of kids can break into Wayne Manor. And when they do, all they take is an old train set. <laughs> My question is, where is this train set? Does he have it set up at all times? I guess. I don't know. I, there was a lot going on with this plot. And it was to push a very sort of Christmassy Batman holiday memory. Yeah, I mean, it was inoffensive. It felt pretty forced, though. Steve Yell is a British artist that worked with Miller and others on 2000 AD. He also worked on The Invisibles with Morrison and penciled the Morrison and Miller-helmed Skrull Kill Crew mini at Marvel. He's a fantastic artist, but I don't... Uh, he did some Starman stuff, too. He did. But yeah. I don't think Giordano's inks are doing Yell's art a whole lot of favors here. There's some weird poses. There's a scene of Batman pouncing on a thug. And it looks like his cape is sort of like a parachute. And Batman has his hands in his pants. <laughs> it's really I mean, weird. that's not the inking. The inking's <laughs> not going to do that. No, I mean, I suppose not all the art is bad. There's some really nice, clean, classic-looking bat stuff here. But when it's awkward, it's really awkward. Like the final scene where, bat, where Bruce is sitting shirtless with the bat pants on. In front of the train. <laughs> yeah, it's, bat pants. It's really weird. I picked this one because I've been itching to read some Legends of the Dark Knight again, but this was kind of a strange Batman holiday tale due to some weird dialogue, a fairly forced plot, and some very uneven art. I can only give this a skim it. I mean, I don't know. It's a holiday comic. Like, I, I read this, and I didn't really think anything of it. I'm not going like, to listen to that excuse the whole time, because we are reviewing holiday comics, sir. No, no, I get it. Like, I, but I read it, and I was like, you know, it's... <sighs> There's nothing really wrong with it. You it, remember it, it, Batman at this time, though, in 1994. This was a, during a great Chuck Dixon run. Graham Nolan was working on the book and stuff. It was beautiful. yeah. It was gorgeous. Six, pardon me. And, like... Batman didn't talk or act like this. Sure he did. No. Of course he did. No. No. Yes. No, I think you're misremembering. I think you're misremembering Batman's darkness. I think you're high on goofballs. 
I don't think Batman, like the super duper dark Batman, this is definitely came be- until later. Look, this is before we got into that. I agree. He, this is before Batman is a complete asshole. I'll give you that. But this was weird. This, this and was like, weird. I, like I don't, I don't, I don't think Batman being kind to a victim is out of character. So I don't that either. did not affect me. But putting a flower in a woman's hair and saying, there you go. Look, man, what, like, what do you want? <laughs> it's Christmas time. Yeah, I, I like, want Batman to be like, ma'am, are you okay? You should get yourself to a hospital. I got to get out of here and go fucking rescue a train set. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no. This, like this, like this, this Batman is clearly got a lot of baggage, but he's also not so damaged that he can't deal with people. Um, I thought the art was fine. Uh, uh, you know, I Dick, Gi- Dick Giordano is, you know, one of those old school classic inkers. Yeah, he's a legend. His work, his work is going to change the way pencilers look. Of course. I, I, but, so uh, here's the deal. I forgot who Steve Yowl was. And I looked him up and I was like, oh my God, this is the guy that worked on the Invisibles. And I went and looked at his Invisibles art. I looked at Scroll Kill Crew and I was like, this guy, yeah, I remember this guy. He's fantastic. Why don't I feel like everything here is fantastic? <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. We're just going to, we're not going to agree on this. I'm giving this a buy it because all of the things that you listed as problems did not bother me at all. I think not it should have been all. a Hanukkah comic and I'm offended. That's all I'm saying. Well, that's fair. Man. Yeah. That's was, fair. Batman's a racist. You heard it here first. There you go. <laughs> first up for me. Is the ambush bug stocking stuffer from DC 1985? Oh man, this this one. No spoilers. This was tough for me to get through. <laughs> it, it was something. Yes. Uh Keith Giffen, Robert Lauren Fleming, and Bob Oxner reunite for another ambush bug tale. Uh, it was ambush bug somehow was all the rage in like a two-year span. Between 85 or three years span between 85 and 87. Okay. I would like to look at sales figures because I don't know if he was all the rage or these creators just loved him. And DC was like, you guys are kicking ass and all this other stuff. Do whatever you want. Just throw it out there. I mean, so, okay. They talk about it in the book and it may have been a joke, but apparently like it says that sales of the original ambush bug minis were pretty high. I bet that's a joke. We'll see. Like it doesn't matter. Um, but he he had at least, he had two minis uh, it, during that time, um, and uh, some specials like this one shot, and they all kind of riffed on each other. Yeah, uh, which is why this comic is so full of weird comic industry inside jokes, references to past ambush bug stories, and jabs at DC staffers that might seem almost impenetrable to anyone that wasn't a fan of DC comics in the 1980s. And I don't just mean a fan of DC comics. I mean, a fan of the DC editorial structure. (laughs) It is also completely outrageous, irreverent and ridiculous. When the jokes hit, they're hilarious. When they don't, they are misunderstood at best. Yeah. (laughs) This is such a product of its time that it's almost impossible to review nearly 35 years later. I can say uh, that Keith Giffen's art is outstanding throughout. This is uh, Giffen during his like very weird experimental phase, something that shied away from the more traditional superhero style that uh, fans were used to on Legion of Superheroes. 
Every page is packed with tiny panels full of detail, extreme close-ups, over-exaggerated faces, and homages to other classic comic veterans. For those that know enough to recognize it, there's a very fun, like, Steve Ditko, Mr. A, uh, a reference. There's an EC Comics reference okay, in here no that's a lot of fun. I had no idea what the Mr. A thing was. I had no yeah. clue. <laughs> uh for as schizophrenic as the end product is, there is an overarching story of sorts, but it would take way too long to explain here. Uh, Ambush Bug Stocking Stuffer celebrates the holidays in a way that only Erwin Schwab can. I'm giving this a skim it because I understand that a lot of people will pick this up, flip through it, and not know what the fuck they're looking at. <laughs> it's okay. So this is definitely a product of its time and it, it's yeah. a ton of inside jokes. And there are some things here that like I had to look up and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That that's funny. They're poking fun at this. They're poking fun at that. And I love comics like that. I love the inside baseball, you know, what the kind of like, you know, jokey Forbush man stuff. It's fun because it's a window into the time. With that said, this was too much. <laughs> it was just way yeah, like the, too much. They're like, no, no, no. We need more jokes in every panel. More funny. It's got to be weirder. It's got to be it's like, oh my God. I don't know how much cocaine they were on when they made lots. this comic, but it was lots. more than I've ever seen in one place. And I've seen a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like there were, there were a ton of jokes about Julius Schwartz. Yeah. And, uh, uh, which who I, technically speaking was still listed on the dc masthead as an editor at the time right it's but cool i have a hard time believing that julie schwartz creator of the silver age of dc comics was editing ambush bug personally no no fucking way i mean it's, there are, it's like fun. there are references to johnny dc the dc comics continuity cop johnny dc is a concept that was only around in like the sixties <laughs> and they resurrected it as a joke in ambush bug. See, that's the and thing that I'm talking she appears about. It's like, in everything they do. While this is a product of its time, we have to remember that this is 1985 and they are making jokes about stuff from 1962. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure who this was for other. It's like watching a Hollywood roast for comedians that you're you sort of have heard of you kind of recognize their faces and they're making jokes about other inside hollywood people that are not quite famous you know what i mean and it's funny to them they love it they're rolling around they're laughing they're drunk they're having a good time and you're kind of like is dinner going to be served soon? <laughs> like, how long do it? You know, I like, I can't give it a leave it because I think it's, it's funny that they even let them get away with this stuff, but I don't think it's funny anymore. And I have to question how funny it was back in the day. <laughs> you know so, I mean? like, for me as a long, uh, as a lifelong DC fan, like I'm still able to appreciate a lot of it, Yeah, I'm, but I, there's like, definitely I stuff totally, like I totally recognize there's, Definitely stuff that hit the problem with it. And I got yeah. some of it, but I would say less than 20%. <laughs> and did for me. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like there's this whole, there's this whole, and then plot. there's the slapstick shit that I just don't think is funny. Like when they get into the, like all the bugs bunny type stuff that just, 
you know, I don't know. Doesn't do much for there, me. There's a there's a whole plot about a cannibalistic doll that's eating other toys. Right. It's gonna eat his tail. And you f- and you find out that the doll, the cannibal doll is Cheeks, the toy wonder. What they never explain during the course of this comic is that Cheeks is a doll that Ambush Bug came into possession of and treated like a son. It's not explained at all. No, they just have to know that Cheeks is Ambush Bug's weird doll son. So this comic not actually alive. This comic doesn't just assume that if you picked it up, you're an Ambush Bug fan. This comic also assumes that you are a hardcore DC historian to the point where you will pick up on jokes on quirks by people you've never seen on television. You've never heard speak out loud. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It is beyond inside baseball. (laughs) It's all I'm saying. And I think it's true. And I think it was written for their friends with that said, getting to skim it because they did a good job of writing to their buddies. (laughs) I guess so. Next up for me is the Hellboy Christmas special from Dark Horse 1997, because how can we think about Christmas without thinking about Hellboy? Right? Am I right? the truth. Absolutely. This is written and drawn by Mike Mignola, Gary Gianni, Steve Purcell, with a pinup by Jeff Darrow. But he gets a credit, so whatever. Mignola starts off the book with Hellboy investigating the ghost of a dying old woman's daughter whose soul can only be saved on Christmas Eve. This was still pretty early Hellboy, but all the trappings are here. There's a demon that drinks blood and then tricks dead girls from the family into marriage. There's a dark haunted cemetery with a portal to the land of the dead. There's a ring that turns into a dragon and blows fire. And there's even a Christmas miracle. (laughs) Then we go to Sam and Max creator, Steve Purcell, who spins a bizarre cartoonish tale about a scary doll and a talking rat that fights a giant spider that comes down the chimney instead of Santa. Now, Steve Purcell is a very talented creator, and Sam and Max is a celebrated creation. And we reviewed Sam and Max. We read Sam and Max. We love Sam and Max. This was not good Steve Purcell. I'm not exactly sure what he was going for. Didn't work. Finally, Gary Gianni finishes off the book with one of his almost impenetrable Monster Men yards <laughs> featuring Lawrence St. George, the millionaire movie director with a night helmet that fights the supernatural in his free time investigating a house haunted by demons on Christmas night. Gianni's scratchy black and white pencils gives the story a gothic turn-of-the-century horror feel and... I'm not positive, but I think that might be Santa that shows up in the end of this story. I can't explain why. I love Gary Gianni's Monster Men. With that said, I would not suggest it to anyone because it's so (laughs) fucking weird. (laughs) Now, the guy is a master artist. Look at his stuff for his art. Look at his, the way that he designs his old school castles and his monsters and stuff. It's absolutely gorgeous. This was really just an excuse for Magnolian friends to tell some creepy Xmas stories. And aside from the weird Steve Purcell stuff, it's really good. No one tells a haunted Xmas story like Gianni and Magnola. I am giving this a buy it. I remember it when it came out. I remember it being very odd. I remember loving the Hellboy story and the rest of it going like, 
okay, there's some extra stuff too. But it was only $3.99 at the time, I think. So whatever. It was a ton of fun. Buy it. 1997 may have only been $2.99. Yeah, it could have been. I mean, yeah, it's, what do you want? It's Hellboy, it's Christmas, it's Magnola, it's Purcell, it's Gianni. Like, yeah, absolutely. This is worth reading. Um, it's a buy it for me as well. I had a ton of fun revisiting this. I hadn't read it since shit. I don't know. Uh, I did. I, I first discovered Hellboy when the first movie came out and they reissued all those trades with identical trade dresses. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? When the first movie came out? I wasn't yep. making you try and I wasn't trying to make you buy this at Krypton before that. No, th- I mean, this wouldn't have been too long after we started working together. So um, I must have thought it was too scary for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're a sweet. Uh, so, yeah, I like I, I, I was obsessed with all things Hellboy at the time. I blew through a ton of stuff and I haven't read this since then. And it was so much fun going back to it. It's a huge buy. It. Well, I love it. And it's really OK. So this was early when Mignola was still writing stuff on his own. And I think we forget that like Christopher Golden came in for a while and really helped him up the stakes and flesh out the world and stuff like that. So this was still very much stripped down Hellboy where it's like, yes, there is a ghost story, but we're not going to give you a whole lot of information. We're not going to tell you exactly what's going on with the weird demon thing that may or may not be a vampire but it was definitely sort of drinking grandma's blood because grandma's dying of blood loss. <laughs> you know, like, it was still very mysterious in the sense that like, I don't know that Magnola had it completely fleshed out outside of that. A lot of the image outside of a lot of the imagery he wanted to show you, but it didn't fucking matter because his art was so good and so creepy that you just went, okay, I don't know what happened. But that was creepy. It was weird. And I loved it. <laughs> So I discovered Krypton in 1997. That's the first time I went into the store and bought my first purchase, the Squadron Supreme trade paperback with the ashes of Mark Ruinwald scattered into the ink. I remember. I didn't have a shirt on. I slapped your glasses off your face. You weren't there. You You were not there. I kicked sand in your face. This was before your time. And I took your girlfriend. Is that right? This was before your time. I remember now. Uh, And um, the Hellboy movie came out in 2004. So I was already an employee at Krypton and we had set up that massive Hellboy end cap to win that dark horse contest. Yep. And that's when I got into those trades. Uh, So 2004. Yeah. That was the first time I read Hellboy, man. I was there since dark horse presents. I loved dark horse presents. Well, someday we're going to do a Dark Horse Presents theme and we're just going to review Dark Horse Presents stuff. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Next up for me is Spectacular Spider-Man number 112 from Marvel Comics. It was 1986 at the time. The second I saw this cover, I was like, oh, my God, I remember this comic book. And the whole thing just came back to me. (laughs) Yeah, same. Uh, this Spider-Man holiday issue follows hot on the heels of the death of Gene DeWolf. So Peter is not really in a celebratory mood, uh, but that doesn't stop him from acting like a complete shithead and blowing off every member of his friends and family before they have a chance to invite him to enjoy the holidays together. Yeah. And, and like they retro, didn't they sort of retroactively explain this as like, well, yeah, the black costume was Venom. So it was making him be a dick. No, no, this was, uh, <laughs> I think this was before 
the living or this must have been after the Venom costume. Secret Wars was 1984. Yeah, but he's wearing a black costume in this. Yes, but he continued to wear a fabric version of oh, the black costume. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot. That's right. And he, he actually makes reference in this issue to like having to uh like wash the soot out of his red and blue because it was like he had been in a fire or something. It was all smoky. Right. It's like you got a swastika tattoo. You regretted it. You got it removed. Yeah. So you just got a t-shirt with a swastika on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. what are you doing, dude? That thing was a monster. <laughs> right. Uh, instead, Spidey acts totally dejected while his supporting cast makes plans to celebrate without him. Uh, meanwhile, there is a sinister Santa secretly plotting to rob the houses of the children to whom he promises large gifts because the first thing you teach your kids is when Santa asks you for your home address, you give it to him. Well, Santa is not a stranger. It's Santa. Yeah. You give it to him. Santa's a good guy. He, he should already know, Matt. I why, would Santa he, in. why would he have to ask? I watched Santa kill my parents and I was like, if that's what Santa wants to do and I'm going to get a Nintendo system out of this, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Naturally, this villainous Santa and Spider-Man cross paths and the day is saved just in time for Peter to spend Christmas day with Aunt May and his beloved Mary Jane. Look, I love Peter David. He's one of my favorite comic book writers. Yep. But this issue is terrible. It's, it's terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> the characters, the characters are incessantly talking to themselves, not just the main characters, the side characters, the, the the random thief he catches at the beginning and they are just making jokes left and right to nobody in particular. And there's a whole spread of Mary Jane taking a bath, like all spread leggy. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's gross. Like, Whoa. <laughs> like they're narrating, they're narrating the events of the issue out loud at some points, but then there are moments where their internal monologue is inside thought balloons. Yeah. It's totally inconsistent. Like Peter, why aren't all of these things that are said completely alone in thought balloons? <laughs> it's weird and inconsistent. The actual plot of Peter feeling like he's getting stood up at every turn requires complete idiocy on the part of almost everyone involved. Like <laughs> Aunt May. I get it. She has to set the phone down to uh, take care of a, a pot that's boiling over. And then Peter uh, hangs up on her. She doesn't immediately call him back and say, hey, what about Christmas? No, she's just like, oh, I guess he's got other plans. It's 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 stupid. Yeah. It's really stupid. It doesn't work at all. It, it, no, ugh. it's so bizarre. Like, and are you going to talk about the art? Are you going to mention yes, the fucking I art? I have a whole paragraph about the art. <laughs> because, like, I'm waiting for you to get to that. Because this is the yes. horniest art I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the artist, Mark Beecham, who I do recognize from drawing a few other comics from this time period. Let me tell you, Beecham is an ass man. No he, question. It, <laughs> it, it is a total mismatch for this story. His bizarre style... It, you know, it reminds me more of like fashion illustration mm -hmm. 
than superhero art. Without a doubt. Because there's a lot of posing. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of women in couture clothing. And like if, uh, if he can figure out a way to get their butt to stick out, like he's going to force it in there. And if he can't yeah, figure out a way, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, it, it, it leads to a <laughs> lot of sexy poses from all of the women involved in the issue. Bizarre. And like uh, cut and, off jean then, like, shorts that are obscenely short. <laughs> but then like the, the superhero action is not good. No. It's not good. No. And then, like you said, there is this bizarre, like, quarter-page drawing of Mary Jane in a bubble bath with both of her legs sticking out, and she's got, like, uh, cords wrapped around her calves because she's washing her hair. It's the, it's the, you know, what do you call it? The shower head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the yeah, detachable like, shower head, but it's like impossibly long cord. Impossibly long. And she's long. all spread. Oh, oh, by the way, it's also coming from the wrong end of the bathroom. Yeah, and she's all spread leggy, you know, and yeah, like, it's what like, is happening here? <laughs> I, I mean, it, this is the horniest guy, right? And then, like, yeah. somehow he draws the black cat on the very next page, and she's I don't know what she's wearing. Uh, maybe it's a negligee or something. It's like a nightshirt. But she is somehow more naked than Mary Jane in the tub. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and yeah, like and oh, none of this and she's is, wearing no, heels. <laughs> yeah. And, and none of this is being said as a compliment, by the way. Like, no. there's nothing about it that makes you go, "Ooh, yeah, sexy baby." No, it's like you you get to and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, because it's like, okay, when they're posed and wearing their couture clothing and everything couture for the year i guess like 80s very hot yeah. like uh let me see your body rock jamie lee curtis type shit you know i guess <laughs> like i you guess know, like wearing leg warmers in public right like i guess that's fine but the second they start doing something like the black cat looks very sexy, completely like pornographic, almost changing her clothes and like dropping her, her negligee around her ankles. And she gets in the black cat costume and the next page, she like jumps off the roof and it kind of looks like one of her legs is broken. And then she like grabs something that is red. And I guess it's some kind of flagpole and her legs are spread. And then she appears to be landing on her forehead on a building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's completely ridiculous. The, the action art, the is art, terrible. <laughs> like, I have no doubt in whatever medium or profession Mark Beecham is accustomed to working in, he is a very talented artist. Without a doubt. Yes. As a comic book artist, he is a hot mess. Terrible. Like this scene of the black cat on the roof where one of her legs is like going through the panel and her butt is like the focus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right I believe the word face. you're looking for is akimbo. Yeah. God. Uh, her, her, her parts are akimbo. It's so uh, weird. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So like I said, I'm a huge Peter David fan. This cover, like Matt said at the beginning of the review, I remember seeing it. Oh yeah. On the stands. And I'm like, holy shit. What's going on? In, what's going on in that comic book? I never found out until today. I wish I had left it as a memory. Yeah, this is garbage. <laughs> the, the cover is striking. Uh, but I just, the, I wish the interior was better. Uh, I'm giving, unfortunately it, it pains me to do so. I'm giving spectacular Spider-Man one twelve. A leave it. Oh, it's not worth reading. It's a massive leave it. This is this is bizarre. 
This is totally bizarre. It's and it is, is legitimately P- awful. This is Peter David, one of our favorite writers. There is a page in here, and I am not making this up. I'm looking for a page number, but it's not listed. But there is a page where the black cat has no arms. I'm looking at it right now. She has no <sighs> arms. <laughs> What is happening in this fucking comic? Oh my god! And like it, it's it's all it's 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 too artsy for its own good. But it's not just the art; the story doesn't make any sense. Peter Parker is a deplorable jerk the entire time on Christmas, no less. Like, right? I I have no idea, and I'm trying Look, to I'm trying to frame this to like other issues of the Spectacular Spider-Man at the time, and I would have to go back and look. <laughs> As, no, because we reviewed the death of Gene DeWolf and raved about it. That was incredible. We ra- And that, that was like two issues before this. Right. And like, I don't, I, I'm sure they were going for some kind of street level thing. You've got a Santa with a gun, you know, and like all yeah, these no. sort of romantic problems and stuff. But this was nuts. My favorite thing in this issue was um, Peter going to his editor at the Daily Bugle. Oh, God who at the time was Kate Cushing, a very 1980s uh, power businesswoman character, a, 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 a Melanie Griffith w- working girl type homage. But they, and, they write her like straight up like butch lesbian. <laughs> <No>. Sure. <laughs> uh, and he's like, hey, you got any work for me? And she's like, no, you're never here. <laughs> you're never here when there's an assignment and then you show up when there's nothing. Why don't you carry a beeper? It's 1986. Right. And he's like, oh, I'll think about it. And then he has this daydream where he's fighting Doc Ock and his beeper goes off and he's like, oh, sorry, Doc Ock. I got to go. I got to go. Yeah. Like, I'm oh, like, wow, Peter man. David. That is such an astute view of what life was like in 1986 for the I, successful that needed to be contacted. By the way, he's a photographer for a newspaper. Yes. You should have a beeper, Peter Parker. Also, you can <laughs> like. I'm not sure what beeper technology was like in 1986. I'm sure it was garbage. But I can tell you this. In 1997, I was working for a law firm and I occasionally had to carry a beeper and that thing had a silent mode. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it going off while you're fighting Dr. Octopus. Okay. To be fair, in 86, it was the size of like an Eggo waffle and it gave you testicular cancer. So oh, I mean, like- <laughs> come on. No, I don't buy that one bit. My dad had a beeper all through the 80s. It and weighed I'm, 14 I'm, pounds. And when it went I off, it went- that oh, thing could vibrate. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no. and an old timey like crank siren. <laughs> sure. By all means, buy this issue for a quarter, frame it for the cover, put it on the wall of your nerd cave. Do not crack it open. I so I flipped as I was reading it. I had to flip to the back page because they don't put they're so proud of this story that they put the credits on the very last page. <laughs> yes. And so I had to flip to the last page. When I got to it, I was like, Peter fucking David wrote this. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, was he trying to impress somebody? Like, were they trying to do like some post modern, like eighties comic book experiment? This is garbage. This is more than a leave it. It's embarrassingly yeah, it's, bad. It's terrible. I, I regret reading it. 
Speaking of Spider-Man, my next review is of Spider-Man's Tangled Web, number 21, from Marvel 2003. This is written by Darwin Cook, with art by J-Bone, or as we like to call him, Jabone. Jabone. A huge- Sometimes I call him Jaboni. I think that's racist. A huge snowstorm has hit New York on Christmas Eve, leaving Mary Jane stranded in Philly, and Spidey freezing his humbug off in Queens. Spider-Man rescues a group of Japanese students that missed their train. I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but it happened. And it takes, and then he takes them to the Daily Bugle Christmas party, where they proceed to trash the place. Meanwhile, Reed and Sue Richards are investigating the disappearance of Medusa, but Sue takes a break to go Christmas shopping with the Wasp and Crispel at Macy's. As luck would have it, Alicia Masters' father, the supervillain, the puppet master, was using Medusa and brainwashed Flash Thompson, who was posing as Spider-Man for Christmas at Macy's. He was like an in-store Spider-Man, like an in-store Santa. The real Spidey shows up along with Reed and the Thing just as all hell breaks loose. J. Jonah Jameson gets word that Spider-Man is robbing Macy's and takes all the Japanese kids to an active supervillain attack, I might add, (laughs) to show them that Spidey sucks. There's a big wacky ending and we get a fun Christmas spread. Now, it sounds like I just screamed a bunch of stuff with some Marvel characters in it. But that is what happens in this insane romp through New York during a snowstorm on Christmas Eve. Darwin Cook is an amazing artist, and he's an incredible storyteller. R.I.P. But this script is nonsense. It is a perfectly cute idea that probably should have been a five-page story in a Marvel holiday special, and I would have been fine with it. Stretch this out to 32 pages, and not only could I care less, it devolves into utter nonsense. J-Bone has an art style very similar to Cook, so I have to ask myself, why didn't Cook just draw this? This was too wacky to be fun, too long to be this silly, and too pointless to be any fun at all. I'm giving it a skim it only for the very last page, which is a fantastic sort of Marvel holiday card featuring the Spider family and Reed and Sue and the Human Torch. That warmed my heart. I loved it. The book itself was stupid. It was stupid and borderline racist. Okay. (laughs) I think you, I think you hate, uh, I just think you hate Christmas. Uh, I, I thought this was charming. I, I understand that it's weird and goofy, but it's also very silver agey. Joe, and this that, goes you know, well beyond totally... weird and goofy. This is spastic. It's more spastic than the last Spider-Man comic we just reviewed. No, it, I don't know about that. No, the no. way that this changes course. Are you kidding me? Wilson, like, now it's a Fantastic Four story. Now the Human Torch is messing with the thing. Now Reed is talking to Sue. Now Sue is doing the Medusa. And Medusa is working for the Puppet Master. And the Puppet Master is mad at Christmas. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, like you said, it's a romp. It's a it's a weird romp through a Silver Age uh, version I couldn't handle of Marvel it. history. I couldn't handle uh, Back during a, a time where Crystal was hanging out with the Fantastic Four, Medusa was often used as a pawn for villains. This would be and- like if, okay, this would be like if the police chief from Die Hard, like Bruce Willis's 
old police chief from fucking Detroit or wherever he's from was like, oh yeah, John McClane's in trouble. Send a bunch of kids to Nakatomi Plaza so they can see what's happening. You know, like that seems irresponsible. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I'm sorry. I couldn't help but have fun reading this. Um, I do wish that Darwin had drawn it. Yeah. Uh, it, it Like I like J bone just fine. But it's drawn in this kind of weird chibi kind of style. Like Spider-Man is super stylized. Yeah, like J-Bone is a very talented like artist. looking. J-Bone is an exceptionally talented artist. And I feel like he really cartooned it up here. Yeah. Uh, look, I liked it. I don't know what to tell you. Oh. I liked it. I oh. thought it was fun. I thought like it was a wild, goofy, silver agey style ride. I understand that it doesn't make a ton of sense. I understand that some characters motivations are very weird. Like the women are like almost insultingly obsessed with shopping. Oh my God. And their butts. <laughs> Don't forget their butts. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, well I like I, that part I thought was funny. It's like, uh, uh, they find, uh, they, they talk about the line of, um, licensed fantastic four that action figures cute. that yeah. get made and the wasp was like you need to check out the ass on your action figure sue it's enormous she's like it's it's as big as a she-hulk it's the biggest <laughs> as she-hulk well and there's also a line where sue is like i you know franklin really wants the fantastic four action play set she's like but i'm just a little creeped out about him quote unquote playing with his family <laughs> yeah but like i thought that that was totally like i thought that that there was that clever seemed, things there was clever yeah things. like i liked that i was like yeah of course like if you're like if you're will smith or vin diesel or whomever uh, and they make an action figure of a character in a movie you've been robert downey jr you know, there's a billion Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man action figures. Wouldn't you be a little creeped out if your kid wanted to play with an action figure in your likeness? No. I think you would be. No, that's your kid. You're kidding me? Nah. Get uh, out like, of here. I can, you I think can Drew Brees' kids don't watch him playing football and freak out and go outside and like, I'm like, Dad, I'm playing football. You know what? Come on. That's different. That's different. No, I would argue uh, the Iron Man shit is more important. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, look, this is a buy it for me because it's just it's 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 full of cute holiday charm. I couldn't. Does it always? I does it always it. make sense? No. It was I agree much. with you. I agree with you there. The art is great. Uh, I miss Darwin Cook. R.I.P. Shout out to this guy. Um, but yeah, this is a buy it for me because I just like, I grinned from ear to ear reading it and uh. what else, what else matters? Okay. Hey, my only, uh, you know what? I'm going to take that back. It's not my only Thanksgiving comic, but one of the only Thanksgiving comics in existence <laughs> is uncanny X-Men number 308 from Marvel 1993. This issue takes place in the heart of the 90s when Scott Lobdell was at full power. Oh, yeah. The story is a long examination of the history between Scott Summers and Jean Grey, showing how their romance has grown over the years. Meanwhile, the other X-Men are trying their best to celebrate Thanksgiving while also mourning their recent losses. Uh, the legacy virus has started to claim lives, including... Uh, Ileana Rasputin. As a result, uh, Peter has left the team. Wolverine was injured to the point that he felt it necessary to leave the team. Uh, and in short order, he will uh, 
lose his nose and become a dog man. <laughs> and wear a do-rag, more importantly. And wear a do-rag, yeah. right. <laughs> Uh, LaBelle's writing in this issue is true to the classic Chris Claremont spirit for better or for worse. It's very, very wordy. Oh, yeah. Uh, overly flowery. And it takes forever to get to the point. Uh, some of the characters are outdated to the point of hilarity, especially Gambit. Oh, my God. What the fuck is he wearing? I would I would argue it is, like, perverted. <laughs> like, it's like he's got, he's, like... Biker shorts on and he's wearing puffy biker shorts. sleeves <laughs> and a very puffy jacket. It's so weird. Also, he's got luscious, flowing dark hair. Oh yeah, and a backwards baseball cap. Like I always knew, early Gambit, he had a ponytail. Yeah. I get it. It was t- it, you know, it came out of the back of his skull cap. I understand. Sure, but to see him out of the mask with his hair just like flowing in the breeze, it's uncomfortable if this pervert showed up to the gym people would call the cops people yeah, be like yeah, no for sure there is a pervert here <laughs> like you 100 percent. don't i don't 100%. want him arrested i want him shot <laughs> yeah. uh, all of that said all of that said uh this issue is still really charming in its way uh john ramita jr's art is in its uh 90s chunky phase as oh, i call yeah. it yeah <laughs> uh it's full of big hair and even bigger puffy outfits, but I love it. Uh, look, it's fun to make fun of X-Men comics, especially from the nineties. But we talked about this last week, uh, or on cover to cover when we were talking about, uh, Fabian Nicias as X-Men. Like I love this era of X-Men unabashedly, unironically, even with all of its faults. I love uncanny X-Men number 308. It features a very welcome moment of character development for long-term fans as well. As goofy as it looks and as goofy as it reads, I'm giving this a buy it. I love this. I I know, right? I unabashedly adore this like age of the X-Men. I love John Romita's art. It is ridiculous. He draws Jean, like he draws her lips like she has cancer. Like she has <laughs> some type of growth on her face. They yeah, are, yeah, yeah. She's had way too much Botox. They are ridiculous, and I love it. They're, man, Scott wearing like the jeans and the winter coat that looks like somebody put a fucking air pump in it and just like pumped it up on his body. It yeah, is like it is yeah, so look, weird. I had, a, I had a coat like that in the nineties. I'm not going to lie. It's so weird. And like, we get like the whole X-Men normally we always get the X-Men playing softball and here they have a football game and it's absolutely adorable. It's the fall. Even Archangel is here, like having a good time, you know, like, ah, oh, yeah, Apocalypse fucked me up and I'm a murder machine, but I'm, but I'm smiling today because it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like there's something that is undeniably terrible about this comic book. If you picked it up today and looked at it, you might say like people wanted to read this. This is bizarre. But if you were there if you were in the shit like at the time, as I like to put it, this generation of the X-Men is so wonderful. And it was a phenomenon. Oh it was a legitimate God. phenomenon. And Scott Lobdell will go down as one of my favorite X creators of all time. Rereading this, like I got warm. I got fuzzy. I was at tears in my eyes. I loved it. It is a massive buy it. My next review is also of a Thanksgiving comic book, which like Joe said, 
hard to find. But there are four. There there really are four. (laughs) But back in the day, there was almost a thing that Jeff Johns tried to start with the JLA and the JSA getting together for Thanksgiving every year. And it was wonderful. I am reviewing JSA number 54 from DC. This was 2004, written by Jeff Johns with art by Don Kramer and inks by Keith Champagne. Oh, Don Kramer. I know. I know. The book starts out with the JLA showing up to the JSA headquarters. Wonder Woman's talking about poor treatment of Native Americans. Wildcat ain't having it. And then he wants to date Mary Marvel after getting thrown out of a window. (laughs) Which is pretty odd because Wildcat's a very old guy. And Mary Marvel, I believe, is 16. Now, they make a reference that she's dating a loose cannon right now. And I'm not sure who uh, they're yeah, talking Okay, about. so loose cannon. <laughs> oh, it was literally loose cannon. It just came back to me. Like DC. loose cannon is a bloodlines character. Oh my god. Uh, who 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 did survive the initial culling of bloodlines? Oh my god. Uh, and he made sporadic appearances for a few years. Yeah. But we get all these really tender JLA JSA moments like doc midnight and the black canary had a thing that I totally forgot about. Yeah. They were dating her on the cusp of it. And they were trying to like come to grips with that green arrow shows up and makes fun of everyone for wearing costumes. Cause he's just in a suit, which was kind of odd that everybody shows up in their costumes for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I mean, not everybody knows everybody's identity. I suppose right? you know, that's like true. not everybody knows that Mary Marvel is a teenager. No, I guess that's true, but Mary Marvel wasn't there. You said something about Mary Marvel. Billy Batson rescues Wildcat when he gets thrown out the window. Oh yes, right. and he says, "I've got Mary Marvel's like whatever. It's like a casserole or something." And he's like, "Mary Marvel, she's a pretty good cook. She's single." And you're like, "Gross, you're like 70. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Correct. The whole JSA, JLA fam shows up for Thanksgiving dinner and it almost goes off without a hitch, but two uh, villains show up. I can't even say their names. They're They're completely random, obscure DC. Right. And they're like, screw you, JSA. You didn't think we'd show up on a holiday. Oh, oh, crap. There's a lot of people here. Oh, Superman's here. They're like, (laughs) oh, okay. (laughs) It's got this, it's got this great, um, it's got this great panel where uh, the villains are standing there, uh, like cowering, and they are surrounded by the JLA and the JSA, and the JLA and the JSA are like covered in food. Yeah, it's wonderful because the tape, like the the spread, got smashed. Uh, it's it's so good. Oh, here it is. At last, I will have my revenge upon the Justice Society. You thought Kulak, the sorcerer, forever imprisoned, but with the help yeah. of the warlock of Yes, I have escalated. Wise, yeah. I have escaped and this world will be ours. And then they look and everyone's like, okay, you just blew up the dinner table. It's like Superman standing there. He's got a <laughs> smile on his face. He's got his, he's got his fists up. Yeah. He's got a smile on his face, but he's also covered in gravy. Well, and they all kind of surround him and like both the villains are like, okay, now hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, uh, we might have been a little too hasty about this. It's so much fun. Now, yeah. We talk about the John's run on JSA probably way too much on this show, but there is 
no holiday comic that I recall more fondly than this JSA Thanksgiving with the JLA. It's ridiculous that Batman yeah. would agree to go to the JSA headquarters, not once, but twice. This is the second time. The first was in JSA, JLA, Virtue and Vice, the one shot. And of course- It was a hardcover, yeah. Yeah. Great. But that doesn't make it any less fun. I forgot how good Kramer and Champagne's run looked, too. It, I don't know what happened to Don Kramer. This art, but after he after his run on this book, he was just gone. He vanished. This art was beautiful. This run was one of those shining beacons of like early 2000s comics we reference. It just reminds me of a time I truly loved the DC universe. And I haven't yeah. felt like this for a long time. It's such yeah. a great book. I'm giving this the, the biggest buy it. It was so much fun. I love this. It's it's probably my favorite holiday comic of all time. I, I totally agree. Uh, speak. Uh, I'm giving this a buy it as well to just get that out of the way. Uh, speaking of our quest to find Thanksgiving comics. There are plenty of comics out there from the Golden Age and the Silver Age that have Thanksgiving covers. Right. There's no guarantee that anything going on inside has anything to do with the holidays. No, there's all kinds of like covers where they're like, oh, yeah, I'm cutting right. a turkey. But like in this one, it's yeah. like, nope, sorry. The Punisher is like, fighting cotton mouth. Just in the same <laughs> way know? that just in the same way that there are all kinds of comics where Batman is punching out the Japanese during World War Two. Right. That's not going on inside the comic. No, nothing like that. Uh, and so it was so difficult to find Thanksgiving themed comics that one of the comics that came up in the list in my search for Thanksgiving themed comics was an issue of Fantastic Four uh, from the 2000s written by Mark Miller. It was during the Mark Miller uh, run that uh, took place before Hickman came on board. And that comic book is actually about Christmas. <laughs> and it was still on the list of Thanksgiving comics. And I refuse, like, I refuse, I refuse to review all Christmas comics. It's ridiculous. Fair enough. I was going to do some Halloween stuff, but I feel like we already passed Halloween, so I just didn't do it. Uh, well, I've got a, a bit of a catch-all comic here. All right. Uh, my, the final review for this week is Mars Attacks the Holidays from IDW 2012. This anthology special covers the gap between several late year holidays, including Halloween, Thanksgiving, Veterans Day, and Christmas. You know, the holidays. <laughs> the holidays, right. Uh, considering the talent involved, typically known as being like much more comedic, uh, there are way more poignant moments than I was expecting. Um, obviously the, uh, the lead in Halloween story by Fred Hembeck is completely ridiculous with art to match. Uh, but the veterans day story by Bill Morrison, Bill Morrison, who is known for his work at Bongo comics. The name says it all. The guy does not make serious comics. <laughs> uh, the artist is tone Rodriguez. It has both a seriousness and a reverence that I was not expecting. Uh, the Thanksgiving story does crank up the satire thanks to writer Ian Booth, uh, writer Ian Boothby and artist Alan Robinson. Uh, there are some pretty prescient bits about Donald Trump in here that I found especially satisfying yeah. in this chapter. I was a little shocked to go back and be like, oh yeah, that guy's always been an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, 
writer and artist Dean Haspiel delivers a somber tale of humans and Martians uh, coming together for a moment of peace after the earth has already been conquered, a uh, very reminiscent of that old story about uh, the two, uh, the Americans and the Germans, uh, you know, crossing the front lines to like share a moment at Christmas time. I really had no idea what to expect when I read this. I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, and I'm giving Mars attacks the holidays a buy it. Yeah, this took me by surprise. And not only was there like a very prescient Donald Trump piece, there's also a scene where like a Bart Simpson homage gets murdered by the Martians and Charlie Brown saves the day. (laughs) Right. Charlie beige. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this and it's actually really smart and it's a color. And it's not only that, but like the writing is so subtle and uh, yeah, I don't know how subtle it is, but it's very clever. So like, when the Charlie Brown balloon gets shot, the, the announcer says he was a good man. Yeah. <laughs> which is like, he's, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. No, this whole thing was like way more intelligent than I remember anything about. Now, okay, to be fair, I I went back and looked at some of our reviews and IDW has done a pretty good job with a lot of this Mars attack stuff. Like it's always been very, you know, tongue in cheek and funny, but it's very satirical. Yeah. They've always gotten really talented people to work on it. And this was a lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Yeah. It's just, and and like the name, like Fred Hembeck. Yeah. You got Fred Hembeck to come do a Mars attack story. I remember Fred Hembeck primarily from doing like two page comics in Marvel age. And he's got the weird blocky cartoony style with everybody having like spirals on their elbows and knees. You know, it's all very bizarre looking that and not brand. I believe that was (laughs) Fred Hembeck. Uh, And uh, you know, Bill again, Bill Morrison, the Simpsons comics guy. Yeah. That's that story was actually like, it was surprisingly Touching, kind of heartwarming. <laughs> a yeah, little weird that you got Veterans Day in there, but not that weird. I mean, Veterans Day happens right around this time. So. Well, it was. Uh, it actually took place uh, right before the very first Veterans Day, which was called Armistice Day at the time, nineteen eighteen or nineteen nineteen. Uh, I had to look that up. Okay, I just thought you were a huge uh, Veterans Day, which guy. explains why. Uh, which is which explains why some of the veterans were uh, dressed in Civil War uniforms. Okay, there you go. So, Matt, which book wins? Which of these holiday-themed comics made your shrunken heart grow ten sizes? It's JSA, without a question. It's With a bullet. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I just, 100%. I, I knew I wanted to review that one to talk about it because I love the book so much. And going back and reading it, I still loved it just as much. With that said, this X-Men Thanksgiving comic. And look, I don't know why you're afraid to spoil a 20-year-old comic, but Scott announces that he's marrying Gene, and I just like, ah! Yeah. Well, and you know, what's, what What I totally forgot was that Gene's the one that proposes, yeah. which is so nice. She proposes to him because he's too much of a weenie about it. It's so great. Yeah. It was really, yeah. really close, but I got to go with the JSA book. Yeah, no, for, uh, for sure. Uh, the JSA book, like, as much as I love that X-Men book, it's really more of a fall story than a Thanksgiving story. You know, they do show up to Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner at the end. I would argue, no, I would argue it's still very much a Thanksgiving story, but I would argue looking back at a book like that, you had to be there 
to really feel it. And I think anybody that picked up that JSA comic still today would read it and be like, all right. Yeah. Without knowing anything. Yeah, like this is a legit fun superhero I think you can read that. Story. I think you can read that JSA comic without knowing a single thing about any of the characters involved Absolutely. and still really get something out of it's it. It's timeless. It's great. Skazit! That does it for reviews this week. And Skazit! It's the sound of a Martian asshole blasting a harmless dog as seen in the pages of Mars Attacks the Holidays. This onomatopoeia of the week comes courtesy of Mr. Joe Patrick. You may have heard of him. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts, or you can send it in an email to at a nerd at gmail.com, or better yet, you can call us at 402-819-4894 and leave us a message where you, you make the noise and we'll play it on the show. It was touch and go for a second, but you got that. I got there. I got it. That's it for reviews. And now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to digest our turkey dinner and marinate in the funk of our must-read picks for next week. Gross! Yuck. <laughs> Matt Bomb, tell these nerds what they should be reading next week. My pick for next week goes to The King in Black, number one. It's from Marvel. It's written by Donny Cates, and Ryan Stegman is on art. It is 40 pages for $5.99. And let me tell you, these are the only two creators in the world that have ever made me care about Venom. Here's your solicit. After a campaign across the galaxy, Null's death march arrives to Earth, and worse yet, he hasn't come alone. With an army of hundreds, of thousands of symbiote dragons at his command, the King in Black is a force unlike any Earth's heroes have ever faced. Eddie Brock, AKA Venom, has seen firsthand the chaos that even one of Noel's symbiotic monsters can wreak. Will he survive an encounter with the God of the Abyss himself? From yada yada yada, okay, whatever. This is the big, huge finale to the Donnie Cates Ryan Stegman Venom story that they have had planned possibly since Thor fought the God Slayer who carried the Null Sword way back in Jason Aaron's Thor. I don't know. It's that crazy. And I know there's several out of you out there that are saying, Matt, I don't give a shit about Venom. Venom is a stupid uh, remnant of the 90s. And you're not wrong. But this book is so goddamn good. I read Venom every month. And I love it. Donnie Cates is fantastic. Ryan Stegman is killing this. This is going to be a blast. Pick this up. Joe Patrick. My pick for next week is Blood Force Trauma, number one, from Albatross Funny Books, written by Jake Smith and Hiram Corbett with art by Jake Smith. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Blood Force Trauma is Atomic City's most popular fighting show where the most savage I'm not sure why there's a hyphen in there I think it's savage where the most <laughs> savage warriors from all the known universes gather to battle to the death and only the most brutal will survive but Zap Daniels Blood Force Trauma's number one fan is about to get a little too close to his obsession when he is unwillingly drafted on to the show as a competitor now he must fight to survive it sounds like something that Kevin Sorbo made 
like four years after Hercules got canceled. <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, this had me uh, from the title alone. Blood Force Trauma <laughs> is know, pretty yeah. great. It's, solid. Um, it's like you are a fan of The Running Man. You love The Running Man. Yeah. And you just happen to score a ticket to go to a live taping of The Running Man with Richard Dawson. You're talking and Richard, straight to me right now, by the way. And Richard <laughs> Dawson points at you and says, you, Matt Baum, get your unitard on. You are going to fight Jesse Ventura. And I, and that's when I would just pee, you know? <laughs> I'm like, just let him kill me. I'm fine with yeah. it. Just let Jesse Ventura kill me. Uh, yeah, this sounds like a ton of fun. Uh, I... I feel like we don't read enough from the Eric Powell corner of the comics industry since he went off onto his own company. There isn't a whole lot uh, that comes out though. They're kind of, well, they still between. do the goon. The they goon did that grumble book uh, yeah. with Mike Norton. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's a lot. This is, you know, it's an excuse, but it's a lot easier to miss. It's a lot less visible. I was happy to find this. I'm excited to read it. Uh, I don't know Jake Smith or Hiram Corbett. Uh, but the art looks great. The premise sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Blood Force Trauma. And we'll review it next week on the show. Hell yeah, we will. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, the hardcover from DC Comics, Black Label. I would argue the only book that should have the title Death Metal on the cover. Written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. It's a bunch Fair. of pages for $29.99. Here's your solicit. It's Wonder Woman as you've never seen her before, fighting monsters in post-apocalyptic Earth as brought to life in daring sci-fi epic by visionary writer and artist Daniel Warren Johnson. They're not going to say it here, but the dude wrote Murder Falcon, and it's yeah. fucking awesome, and you need to pick that up. Princess Diana of Themyscira left paradise to save man's world from itself when Wonder Woman awakens from a centuries-long sleep. To discover the Earth reduced to a nuclear wasteland. She knows she's failed. Trapped alone in a grim future, Diana must protect the last human city from titanic monsters while uncovering the secret of this dead Earth and how she may be responsible for it. This collects Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, number one through four. Now, we have talked a lot of trash about DC's death metal on this show and how ridiculous it is and how we long for a time where, I don't know, uh, comics made sense. But Daniel Warren Jansen is a talented enough creator to take an idea like this and give it real soul and make it beautiful to look at and make it wonderful to read. This is what they should have built on. This is what I would have liked to see them do this insane event with. Instead, we got death metal and we got this. So whatever, go pick this up. It's such a wonderful book. And Daniel Warren Johnson is such a crazy talented creator. This is so much fun. Uh, speaking as someone who just got caught up on everything death metal, including all of the tie-ins. Oh my God. Why would you do that? <laughs> if you have to make a decision about what to spend your hard-earned dollars on, please do yourself a favor and choose Wonder Woman Dead Earth. <laughs> I'm begging you. <laughs> I'm literally begging you not to turn this into a death metal review, but it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now that you know what we're reading next week, we want to know about what you're excited to read or what you think that we should be reading. Please, your recommendations are welcome. Yeah. Uh, John Littrell on Twitter just said, hey, if you guys aren't reading The Goon right now, the last two issues of The Goon have been amazing. I'm still reading The Goon. I still love it. So, yeah, but send us that stuff. We want to know. Uh, Please, though... Be sure to add these comics to your pull list so you can play along with us and do your local comic shop a favor as well. Excelsior! That is it for THN 599. Next week, we are back talking about new comics and... uh, I think it's our 600th birthday or something. No big deal. Whatever. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we're not making a stink about it. Until then, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week, please. We sat on that last one for like three months. Jesus. Wait, we are going to make a stink about it, though, right? No. No. No stinking. I refuse. I've been doing this for 10 years, and and I'm not going to get any fanfare. I feel like we make a big enough stink every week, and these jerks haven't made us rich yet, so why should we start partying now? You know? Mm. (laughs) All right. I guess we'll see what happens. (laughs) This week's question was submitted by Lord Stephen Fino, the THN Master of Coin, via the THN forums. What's the most creative use of an otherwise quote-unquote useless superpower in comics? For example, while the event itself was not good, uh, the usage of Dazzler to take out Black Bolt in Inhumans vs. the X-Men was a great use of her power set. Uh, So yeah, characters who have... Powers that you may not uh, think are so great in battle, like the ability to cast fireworks like Jubilee. (laughs) When have those abilities been used to great effect? Or perhaps the ability to eat anything, like Batter Eater Lab. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30 Central Standard Time live on our Facebook page, and it is the new home for our nerd news segment. So please call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and you could be internet famous. Remember, please try to keep your recorded answers to two minutes or less. Share the air with the other nerds. Uh, Like Matt is often saying, uh, if you call and there's nobody else trying to get in, we're going to wrap with you for however long we want. Yeah, we're going to make you give us content, you jerks. If you're new to this show and you're planning on using your useless power to rattle our bowels every time we try and record, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Adam K, cousin of Adam X. I'll bet you didn't know that. Oh, man. The third summer's brother. They are cousins. Wow. It's weird how that works. (laughs) Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to all of the listeners that have stuck with us over the years. As Thanksgiving approaches, there's nothing we are more thankful for than your love and support, no matter how much we joke about it. Word to all of you, and please have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Wear your masks. Do not go to a large gathering. Stay home. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just sneeze all over them. This is the Two-Headed Nerd wishing you a happy turkey day and signing off.